You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And this is your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and I'm coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. And I would much rather be outside right now in this weather than inside here doing a radio show. But I promised folks I'd be here every Wednesday at 4, live, coming to you on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio, where we can take your calls. Here live also at 646-721-9887 and just press one so we know you want to get in on the conversation because this is your opportunity this is you can ask me any question take the, the show in a direction you want to go um, or you know find out what I'm thinking about certain things you know it's like a, a weekly town hall on, on the internet that you have the opportunity to participate in just by calling in at that 646-721-9887, just press one. And yes, I'm a little casual today um, with the rain predicted for the weekend and spring being spring, I had a couple of chores I had to get done and it just happened that today was the only day I actually had uh, good weather and a gap in my schedule. So I, I'm, you know, in from the yard, uh, smelling like uh, smoke from my my uh, brush pile, but I'm here to do the show. And we've got a lot to talk about. Oh, my God, there's more stuff to talk about than I can get to in 60 minutes. But uh, we'll talk about what you want to talk about if you call. But I've got a couple things. The first one is I want to talk about um, COVID and deaths and statistics that significantly prove that there was a major pandemic in this state last year and it created excess deaths and people and I've had a couple of people say what do you mean by excess deaths well you can take the last and I was able to get 21 years worth of data from uh, OHA online of how many total deaths every year they had and I was able to go to Portland State University's population you know, center, center for population studies, I should say, and get Oregon's population for each one of those years. And by comparing those two, you can kind of see, you know, that, you know, as population grows, of course, the number of deaths grow also with that. But over the 21 years between 1998 and 2019, there was an average of somewhere around 85 deaths per 10,000 population. It varied, you know, there were low years of as close down to 82, and there were high years that was were up around 88.9, uh, but that it stayed in that bandwidth for those 21 years. Well, the data's out for 2020 for total deaths in Oregon, and if you do the same sort of math, we had 93 deaths per 10,000. So that's a significant jump from the highest year. You know, that's, that's a, a, a five deaths per thousand, per 10,000. So when you figure it out, uh, you know, that variance, it comes out to over 2,000 excess deaths above what you would expect in a normal year. Yeah, and that's that's 2,000 above the highest year in those 21 years, previous 21 years. It's even higher above the average. And and it's, you know, so you can't look at that data. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with calling a COVID death that was really a heart attack or anything like that because it's total deaths. 
doesn't matter how the death was classified, we had 2,000 more deaths in Oregon than you would have expected in a single year last year. And the only explanation for that would be the COVID-19 pandemic. So I know there are going to be people that, that think this is the wrong thing to say, but you cannot qualify this as just a flu. You know, you want to know one of the lowest death years we had? It was actually the same year of H1N1 as far as total deaths per 10,000, down close to 82. So that was a serious flu that year, and we didn't blow the averages out. You know, going this far above normal uh, was, was, you know, unexpected, but it's easy to see that this was a serious disease. And we can't just call it the flu. And yes, some of the precautions in early on that we took when we didn't understand how contagious it was, how deadly it was, and various other things were probably justified. Now, as we learned from data where transmissions were happening and who had the highest mortality rates, we should have been changing our tactics relative to this pandemic. So I'm probably going to make some other people angry here because I probably just made a bunch of conservatives that, that kind of like to blow this off uh, as just the flu angry when I talked about how serious of a disease this was. And it actually caused at least 2,000 excess deaths in Oregon last year. Now I'm going to talk about how wrong some of the, the restrictions have been and, and how they continue to be wrong. You know, I talked previously about how the metrics were set up county by county without even considering the fact that Benton and Lane County have these two huge state universities in them that had their own testing labs set up and have been testing their students at a rate so far above the background population testing rate, they drive the case rates out, out, of, out of whack for our two counties. And it took forever for Lane County to come down from extreme to, to high risk. In fact, right now we're floating just above moderate. So if we can keep our, our, our you know, cases down and everybody practice social distancing, we might actually drop down another risk level and have restaurants be able to open up to a higher capacity for indoor dining. But even in those changes from extreme risk to high risk, there's things that just make no sense at all. Do you know that you're only allowed to have 50 people in a theater setting? That's the max. No matter how big the theater is, 50 is the max you can have in a theater. Church, you're allowed to have up to 150 people. Now, think of the Shedd Institute in downtown Eugene. That used to be the First Baptist Church. It was converted. Their, their theater is the converted sanctuary of the church. And if it was still a church, they could have 150 people there. But now it's a theater, and they're only allowed to have 50. Why does that make sense at all? I mean, you come in for a church service, you're there for an hour or so, just like you would be for a concert or something. But yet, I, I generally don't see people at a concert joining in, you know, group singing or, or coming up and taking communion where they have to have their mask off or, you know, sharing symbols of friendship, you know, during a service. You know, it, you know, it just, it seems like... You know, we've actually traced outbreaks to churches in this state. But I don't know of any outbreaks that have been chased, traced to an entertainment venue. So, you know, why does that make sense? And why did it make sense to wait till you, that the state knew that we were dropping down a risk level and in-restaurant dining was going to be legal on a Friday 
but they chose the, the Monday and Tuesday before that to find a couple restaurants in Lane County for allowing some in-restaurant dining, even though it was going to be legal on the following Friday. So I, I know there are people who are upset that I referred to the governor as Governor Karen Brown, but when you think about those ads and, and, and what Karen has come to, to, to denote, you know, cutting down a mailbox for being a couple inches high with a chainsaw, um, finding restaurants, you know, tens of thousands of dollars right before they're going to be allowed to do what you're finding them for. Uh, hello, Karen. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that's a Karen sort of thing to do. You know, uh, you know, it just, and, and at the same time, you know, you got the poor shed that, that can't operate on an audience of 50. It doesn't make financial sense to them, but there are churches that are probably have a smaller room that are allowed to have 150 people. So it, you know, just doesn't make sense how some of these rules are. And probably the most prime example recently is this sudden decision that parents can't watch their kids play sports, outdoor sports at all. Now, mind you, if you had an outdoor wedding venue, you'd be allowed to have 75 people there. But they're not even letting parents, you know, socially distance outdoors and watch their kids. They're actually hiring police to come up and make sure parents don't, you know, end up, end up coming up to the fence even to watch their kids, which is going to be really interesting because um, there are places and, and around the state where the fence line for some of these fields is the property line. Are they going to chase, you know, come outside these property lines and chase parents off of other, you know, either public right of way or private property? Uh, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, I live next door to Elmira High School, and I could probably watch the football game from my fence line. Are they going to come over and chase me off? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I, I might spread COVID. <laughs> it just, I, I, it just. It's not making a lot of sense. You know, people have enough information to make some good decisions on their own. And parents, I think, could probably gather around the fence line of a football field and keep their six feet apart from other parents and, you know, wear their mask and not spread COVID. Uh, I don't think we have to hire the cops to, uh, you know, to go and be the, uh, the COVID police and not let people watch. But, you know, of course, they proposed this solution, which was the parents could watch the games online. Well, it turns out there's a fee for that service for away games. So in order for the parents to watch online, they've got to pay a fee to the school systems. And it doesn't even go to the athletic programs, by the way. So just, just another little COVID tax coming in there. It's kind of like, you know, these the state going to tax our federal st COVID stimulus checks. They're not subject to federal tax, but they're going to be subject to state tax. Uh, yeah. So, you know, on one hand, COVID's a very serious disease. We should take it seriously. We haven't put enough vaccine out there to get to herd immunity. We know we're close. People need to still take precautions, particularly if you're going to interact with the elderly or anyone that has um, got, you know, all those various um, other health issues that can lead to higher mortalities. Uh, you know, think about who your circle, your circle is, try and keep your circle small. All that stuff is smart at this point uh, and, and just part of staying healthy. But, we, you know, we really should be at least thinking about how we deal with things. And one of the interesting things is I'm kind of curious, and, and I, I don't have the time to do this, and if someone does, whether or not this total excess deaths is, you know, that same percentage increase is 
is in every state or is it different compared to how the restrictions are? Because I know that, you know, Oregon touts how they had such a low uh, per capita death rate, such a low case rate, which might be because we don't classify enough COVID deaths or other states are overclassifying COVID deaths. And that total death count thing kind of takes that variable out because it's a total death and you just look and see what, you know, whether there's a variance from norm. Um, but if you go back to just the, 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 the self-identified COVID deaths, Maine is exactly tied with Oregon. And when I looked at Maine's um, health and economic website about where they are with restrictions, et cetera, their kids are in school. Their theaters are open, reduce capacity, and they require some social distancing, mask wearing, and stuff like that. But they've been open. Same per capita death rate as Oregon. So were our restrictions needed? That would be a great study for somebody to do in the future. Some kid enterprising interns, some enterprising master's thesis person, you know, taking a look at just the total deaths, variance in it, and what states did relative to restrictions and see if there's any correlation between restrictions and a reduction in deaths. Be very fascinating to see. But enough COVID stuff for right now. I, you know, we've got other things to talk about, but if you want to talk about COVID or anything else, I'll remind folks, this is a call-in show, and all you have to do is dial 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get on the conversation, because some people call in just to listen to our show, because they're traveling away from a computer, and they can't stream us for Facebook Live, because they don't get, you know, enough enough signal who knows but they call and they actually just listen on their cell phones which isn't a bad thing they might be out in the yard working on trimming their their fruit trees and burning brush you know <laughs> and, and it's a lot easier to turn your phone on speaker and listen that way who knows um but yeah we are we are uh an easy program to listen to in many ways facebook live we're, we're, we've gotten on Rumble now, um, you know, multiple ways to listen to our old shows like a podcast. Um, so all sorts of ways to listen to Bo's Nose Show. But, again, you can call in and participate at 646-721-9887. And I'm going to move on to some other topics here besides COVID because I want to talk a little bit about freedom and freedom under assault in this state in so many ways. Um, I talked about this a little last week, and I've talked about it before, um, whether it's Marty Wildey's um, Grandpa Can't Have His Bacon Bill, uh, which if you weren't listening before, it was a bill that proposed uh, a state law that would prevent nursing homes and long-term care facilities from serving prepared meats like bacon and ham (laughs) or sausage to their residents. And I don't know about you, but, you know, my father-in-law, who's in a, a veteran's home, looks forward to bacon day of the week with much anticipation because food becomes very important to somebody in those long-term care facilities. But that's just one restriction, you know, where, where my World War II veteran, 96-year-old father-in-law can't decide whether he can have bacon or not at that age. <laughs> But the ones that really got me right now are some of these gun bills that are out there in front of the legislature. You know, everyone, you know, I don't, whether you believe it's okay or not to carry a, a firearm, one of the things that's, in, that's been recognized by both our U.S. Constitution and our state constitution, our state constitution statement on this is actually stronger than the U.S. Constitution, is that we have a right to bear arms for our own protection. And one of the things that comes to that right in this state, there are other states where you don't even have to get a permit for this, is there's 
a concealed weapon license that you can uh, obtain if you can get through the background checks, pass, you know, and have done the education work. I have one. I carry a, a firearm concealed quite often in public because I've had my life threatened multiple times. Uh, so it, it's an important right to me and one of the choices I make to protect myself and my family from those that have announced publicly they would do me harm. Um, so to me, it's a very important right. And, and it's, it's one of those choice things. You don't have to carry a gun. And my gun has never jumped off my hip and, and hurt anybody on its own. I'm a responsible gun owner. Uh, you know, it's, it's kept safely. Uh, I have trained with proper trigger discipline. I understand, you know, proper use, when to use, when not to use. Uh, that's all important things to do. But it's my choice of how I want to defend myself. And for a lot of women, it's a choice how they want to defend themselves, particularly against men that can easily overpower them. So it's, I, I look at it as a, as a pro-choice issue. You know, and I'm pro-choice on everything, basically, um, because I'm, I believe in freedom and people's ability to make choices. But there's two bills in particular that are that are onerous in how they would would restrict your rights to make those choices. One of them would basically allow the state to prevent you from purchasing a weapon because they couldn't get to doing your background check in time. Now, mind you, the state keeps starving the state police, that I should say the legislature and the governor keeps starving the state police budget-wise as far as staffing up enough to do these background checks on gun purchases. So they can't get them done effectively on time unless you're a name like mine that no one else has. And it's pretty clear that I don't have a record. You know, when they go to search for, you know, Joseph Kenneth Bozovich, there's only one of them in the system. I'm not John Smith, and it doesn't require a lot of work um, but to make sure they're checking the correct John Smith. Um, but the issue there isn't the fact that, that sometimes a gun seller can choose to transfer that weapon if the state police can't complete that background check within 72 hours. Of course, most gun sellers wait at least a week before they make that transfer. A lot of them still won't because they're worried about the liability. But the real issue should be fund the department in the state police that does those checks well enough to get them done and charge an adequate fee to the, you know, through the, through the system to fund that or, you know, because that, that's really whether it's your concealed weapon license fees or your, you know, some kind of fee for your background check at time of purchase, take care of it somehow that way. Don't, you know, what they're basically trying to do with this one bill that's in the legislature right now is make it okay for the state police to never try and staff up and do that. If they can just sit on your background check and the, it removes the ability for the, whoever's selling you that firearm to go, you know what, your background check, the state police isn't going to do it. I'm going to go ahead and transfer that weapon anyway. Um, and that, that's really, it's not a loophole because the only reason it exists is because of the delays on the state police's end, not because there's something wrong with the person purchasing the gun or the person selling it. That's just one way they're trying to restrict that freedom. The second way is probably the most insidious and the one that bothers me the most. That right to bear arms is in our state constitution, is affirmed in our state constitution. By the way, our state constitution recognizes you're born with your rights. They're inherent. They're natural. So the constitution doesn't grant any rights. It only affirms rights. And it affirms that right to bear arms in the state, at the state level. And one of the things the legislature has done is made sure that local government infringe on that recognized constitutional right in the state. 
and has restricted local governments from passing laws that restrict gun rights and and held that you know held that power at the state level where it should be and the state has the right to the you know and has set aside like courthouses are a place you're not allowed to carry a weapon concealed or bring a firearm at all or any weapons but that decision was made at the state level by the state legislature and you know like like certain things you don't have the freedom of speech to yell fire in a crowded theater there there's enough reasoning behind that 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 stands up constitutionally to, to withhold weapons from everybody coming into a courthouse of course everybody's passing through a metal detector at our courthouse so you know that everybody else that's in there doesn't have one also but what um, upsets me about this particular bill is it's going to give the power to local governments and it, and they they actually it's not just local governments and local government entities which means districts like school districts water districts library districts it's giving them the power to restrict that capability of carrying a concealed weapon on any property or buildings that they have control of doesn't even mean they have to own it. If they lease a major portion of that building, they could they could pass a rule that says you can't carry there, which makes it impossible for somebody that has a concealed weapon license to know when they're legal or not legal. You know, because one of the things it talks about is not just the building but the grounds. So you might not see the sign on the door when you're crossing the corner of whatever. Uh, piece of property that a water district owns and is declared off limits. Um, so, and, 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 and the penalty is a felony for violating this. But what it does is it allows a local government to make that decision. Now, if they want to start restricting concealed carry from certain public buildings, it should be done by the legislature, not by individual governments and it should be done statewide uniformly so folks with concealed carry license have a set of rules they can follow because right you know the way the bill's written you walk in you know into a water district uh, building to pay your water bill you don't know if that water district might have passed something or not um, if you're uh, going to a park in another town, you don't know if that town's passed some rule that that park is now uh, a gun-free zone uh, that that you're violating. It is it it would make a mess, and and it would basically be the first time in Oregon where the legislature has given the power to local governments to restrict your constitutionally affirmed rights. They don't let you restrict your right to free speech. They don't let you restrict how you can worship. They don't let a local government pass a rule that says you can't have a jury, trial by jury. So why in the world are they letting local governments start restricting your ability to defend yourself and bear arms? So... I, I have a real issue with that, but it just seems like there's this, this desire to control people and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, the governor and her COVID restrictions that don't make sense, or it's the legislature trying to ban, you know, uh, concealed carry or allowing local governments to ban concealed carry, or whether it's our own board of commissioners. And I had, had, you know, we had a commissioner's meeting yesterday, and, you know, this is typical, a bunch of activists arranged to to get some back-to-back testimony at a board meeting back um, towards the end of last year, and they all lined up and came in one one at a time to ask us to ban polystyrene um, food containers uh, from restaurants here in Lane County. Or and any other you know 
any other uh, use, basically. And, you know, it, as typical, you know, once they do that, it, it, it allows somebody on the board to go, oh, that's not a bad idea. Let's have a work session on it. So yesterday we had a work session. And I was the only commissioner that seemed to be questioning, first of all, the board has never restricted a consumer product. There is no county code right now that says you can't buy a consumer product that's legal in this state or country. So we've never done that. So we have no consumer product police out there. We have no, you know, bureaucracy set up for this. So this is going to require something brand new with the county. Some kind of, you know, administrative authority that's going to enforce this, this ban. Now, mind you, in the morning, we, we talked about our public safety repair plan. We have a 10-year plan to try and, you know, bring our public safety system back up to what it should be as, as you know, anyone that lives outside of a, of a city that has a police force knows that property crime goes uninvestigated uh, in most of rural Lane County. And if you're not bleeding, you don't get somebody within, you know, and even if you're bleeding, it can take 45 minutes to get a sheriff's response. Um, you know, but we're going to take the resources to go out and make sure restaurants start using those styrofoam clamshells or styrofoam drink cups. <laughs> you know, that, that's, it's that important. We're going to keep moving on that direction. Because you as a consumer can't decide that you don't like those things because they do have some possibility of putting chemicals in your food, particularly if you reheat them with a microwave. It's a really, that's a no-no, you know, with polystyrene. So, you know, you as a consumer can't get, you know, be educated, understand that there's a possibility of, of toxic chemicals getting into your food and ask your local restaurant when you pick up can you put it in something other than polystyrene or can i bring my own containers in for you to to put my food in you know uh, glass containers or or whatever because you know i don't know if anyone remembers something called bpa bisphenol a it was an additive that makes clear plastic hard harder that was used on a lot of water bottles you know remember when you know the, the hard clear water bottles in various colors were popular. And even, you know, even uh, baby bottles for uh, formula and stuff were, were made with this hardened plastic. Um, and it's also part of an epoxy resin that sometimes is used to coat um, cans that, that are used in canning food. Well, we found out, you know, uh, a couple of years back that bisphenol A is really not good for people and has some toxic, you know, issues. Well, no one passed the law that banned it. What happened was so many people got up in arms and were concerned about bisphenol A that people making water bottles and stuff started advertising that their, their, their new line of water bottles had zero BPA. And you would be hard-pressed to find a consumer product now that contains BPA because the market went completely away from it when people found out it was hazardous. Eventually, I think that's what's going to happen with polystyrene. It's already happening. Many restaurants, particularly, I think about McDonald's doesn't use polystyrene anymore. Remember those clamshell containers the Big Mac used to come in? Don't see those anymore, do you? Lots of restaurants have gone away from using that. <clears throat> and if the consumers come in and start asking for something other than polystyrene, even more will go that direction because they want to make money. But, of course, you know, there'd be less takeout coming if we would change our COVID restrictions a little bit. But that's a whole different topic. Um, but really, uh, why are we going to restrict what people choose to buy at the county level? 
I mean, if we were really going to get into trying to control consumer products, you know, I could make a really strong argument we ought to be restricting cannabis. I'm sure I'm going to get people going, what? I wouldn't ever propose it, particularly for adults that are old enough to make the choice to whether they want to damage their brains and nervous systems the way cannabis can. But it's a legal product in this state, and I don't think the county should be restricting your ability to purchase it. So that that's you know, where I where I am on that. But it seems like every time we turn around, government's trying to restrict your freedoms and what you can do and not do. You know, it just amazes me. Um, you know. We, we're seeing Texas and Mississippi now uh, go away from mask mandates. You know, I, I would still be wearing a mask. I personally feel there is some uh, effectiveness in them. Uh, but they're giving people the choice and the freedom to wear or not wear a mask. You know, I believe in maximizing freedom. Which gets to a whole nother subject. It seems like minimum wage is dominating a lot of the talk. You know, we, we want to have a national minimum wage now, $15 an hour. Well, now there's a proposal in the legislature to make the state of Oregon $17 an hour next year statewide, no, no rural areas or anything. My wife and I own a very small business and employ three people outside of ourselves. If that law passes, we are going to have to close our business. We cannot afford to pay our employees $17 an hour because we can't charge enough for the magazine that we're producing to pay that kind of wage. So I, I don't know where they think that's going to, to help other than drive up unemployment. And if $17 is good, why not 20 why not 25? Why not 100? You know, where, where, you know, where's the floor on this? And what happened to the, to the freedom to negotiate in trade from an employer what your time and labors and skills are worth? You know, where is that freedom? Once again, we're attacking the, that freedom. You're not smart enough to decide whether or not to accept a job for twelve seventy-five an hour or thirteen fifty, depending on where you are in Oregon. You know, for whatever it is that the the, bought, the 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 business wants you to do, you can't make that decision. We're going to decide for you, and we're going to set that at seventeen dollars an hour now. And that's you know, what you're basically saying is if your skills and work product aren't worth $17 an hour, you are not employable in this state. And what that's done every time they've raised minimum wage is it's driven up unemployment in young people and in particularly in minority young people. Because you know, they may not have had that first job and established enough skills and demonstrated the ability to show up on time and not, you know, Snapchat and TikTok all day and actually produce enough work to make it worth paying them more than $12 an hour or $13 an hour. Uh, Robin's just dying to get in on this conversation. <laughs> It's called biting, chewing on the microphone. Yeah. A couple of things I can think seem wrong with that is, uh, let's say you start out at $14 an hour and you worked your way up to 15 or $17 an hour, and now they bring the minimum wage up to that. You know, they're not going to, it's going to squeeze it. They're not going to raise the $17 an hour person to compensate for the level that the minimum wage caught up on. And then, like you're saying, you can't, you might be able to pay somebody $17 an hour or $15 an hour, but you're going to cut their hours 
So sure, they'll make the $15 an hour, but they won't be working the same amount of hours, and they're going to have to work two or three jobs to make up the financial difference that they would normally have made otherwise. Yeah. And finally, I think, no offense, but I think anybody that's in political office should be required to take one term of Economy 101. Yeah, but you got to hopefully taught by somebody that's not a Keynesian. Yes. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, or Harvard School of Economics. Uh, yeah. Somebody from Chicago School or down from Stanford, uh, maybe. <laughs> or somebody that, uh, okay, I know this is kind of off topic and it'll probably trigger you, but that doesn't believe that Dr. Seuss is racist. <laughs> I mean, what's next? Mr. Ed? Yeah, yeah well, don't get me started. I mean, there are some very ignorant people in this world, and racism is a horrible thing. One, one, there is, there's only one race, the human race, and anyone that thinks it's subdivided into categories is is a racist in themselves, because skin color, uh, you know, where you're born or whatever, we're all Homo sapiens. We all have the same basic genetic material with very small variances that change appearance. You know, and, and so the folks that think that, that one race is more superior than another or whatever, they're just so ignorant and out of touch, it's not funny. But the people that want to group people by those characteristics are just as ignorant sometimes and bothersome. But the definitions of racism have gotten so polluted you know the 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 real definition of racism is believing one that there's more than one race and two then believing some races are are inferior or superior to others and that's that's you know the white superiority issue and all but that you can have you know black superiority or asian superiority whatever you know how you want to want to put it prejudice is always wrong and bad and, and judging people by being a member of a group, no matter whether it's a religion or whatever, is always bad. Judge people's individuals. The problem I have is the newest definition of racism now says that honoring individual achievement is considered to be racist. I figure there's two types of groups. There's uh, the ones that can walk and chew gum at the same time and the other ones that think that beef comes from the store. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I really um the the incidents that happened in the River Road area were horrible, stupid, ignorant things for people to do. Um, you know, who knows if it was kids or you know, just some you know, stupid person that believes that that, that um one race is inferior to another and uh, or may not belong in an area. It just you know, and the fact that they even believe that there's separate races bothers me. Um, but we have taken the definition of racism and turned it on its head in some ways. And the critical race theory and some of what's being written about characteristics of white superiority make absolutely no sense. And they're flipping racism and actually making it about whether you're a collectivist or or believe in individual freedoms and judging people as individuals because they talk about asking somebody to show their work when doing a math problem is considered racist now. State of Oregon actually put that out as, as, as a reference in, in, in warning teachers about racism and mathematics. You know, it, and it's just, it's insane that that even becomes an issue. You know, I posted that the quadratic formula online, I was expected to get a strike for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, well, solve the quadratic formula and show your work, then you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, that that's, that's uh, you know, 
course, being an engineer, I took a heck of a lot of, of advanced mathematics. And one of the what reasons teachers ask you to show your work is so they can see where you might have made a mistake. Or if you're skipping steps that you really ought to be showing and understanding, so you understand the concept of what you're doing before they move you to the next level of mathematics. Because math builds on itself. You don't start out doing calculus. You start out with arithmetic, one plus one equals two. Which, by the way, having a definitive answer is racist. Uh, speaking of mathematics and kind of changing the subject a little bit, how about property tax? Yeah, yeah, I was getting there. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, one of the, you know, as we're thinking about freedoms, one of the things that, that is really onerous is how we tax things. And sometimes the way we tax things can actually restrict your freedom. And one of the most onerous taxes we have is taxes on wealth or value. Ad valorem taxes, as they like to call them. And property tax is one of those most insidious ones. You never own a piece of property because as long as this county, city, and state can take it away the moment you stop paying your ad valorem taxes for a long enough period of time, you don't own it. Now, taxes on your income tax, you still own the income that's left over after that. You have to continually pay these property taxes because you're basically renting your property from, from the state. So just in alone, it's a bad way to tax. And it's hugely imposing on people with fixed incomes as they increase over time, which they do. And one of the things that happened is back in the 90s, there was a lot of tax revolts over property taxes for just these reasons. They were increasing over time at huge accelerated rates because the values of houses were increasing. And all these school districts and everybody were passing additional taxes because they couldn't, you know, they were trying to pay their PERS bills and everything else. So in California and Washington, Oregon and some other states, People passed measures that said, you know, stop, we're putting a cap on property taxes and we're putting a cap on how fast they can grow. And we put this cap in there under measure 5, 47, and 50 in this state. And it says that the max your assessed value can grow every year is 3%, no matter how fast the housing market grows. The governor's proposal for House Joint Resolution 13. It's going to refer to the voters a measure that will basically blow that 3% cap out of the water and, and basically say that your assessed value has to be no less than 60% of the real market value. Well, a lot of homes today, in fact, if you start looking at the average assessed value compared to the real market value, are way far below that 60%. They're usually somewhere about 40% or 35%. So that would instantaneously <coughs> cause your property taxes to go up about 60%. So that rent you're paying the state every year for the you know, the luxury of having a mortgage and owning property and taking care of it, like mowing your lawn and, and trimming your fruit trees and whatever else you're doing as you're paying that rent to the state, it could go up 60%. And they're going to put this on the ballot. And I'm sure it's going to get a, a clear and well-explained ballot title so people truly understand what they're voting for, like Measure 110. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and other ballot measures that have gone on, because we, we just know that, that, that this state is so fair and accurate with how they describe ballot measures, that, you know, and, and everything's, everything's roses and sunshine and lollipops when it comes, you know, and, and rainbows and unicorns when it comes to what they want to have you vote yes on. And if it's something that the uh, 
overlords in our state system, like the governor and the secretary of state and the court system, don't want us to vote yes on. They describe it like it's the worst thing since, you know, COVID. And uh, they, you know, it, it just amazes me they get away with it in this state. But what worries me is they're going to pass this joint resolution out of the legislature. It's going to go on a ballot. They're going to describe it like it's going to be the end-all, solve-all problems for schools and cities to fund all the things you want without telling you it's going to basically drive you out of your home. I mean, it's bad enough, and I talked about this, that in the average medium-priced home in the 4J Eugene city limits pays over $4,000 a year in taxes. That's just an incredible sum. You know, just for the right of renting your property from the city of Eugene and the state and the county and the school districts. Because you stop paying that tax, I guarantee you, eventually somebody's going to come out, sheriffs are going to post a notice, and they're going to auction your property off to the highest bidder. Yeah, I was just looking up um, the, what the Lane County says my house is. Um, assessed value one one forty, real market value is two fifty. So at one forty, now think about what sixty percent of two fifty is. It's going to make me do math. <laughs> this is math. <laughs> See. It's about 150. So you 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 might go up to. You're going to jump up a little bit, but not so bad. But there are other houses that are far off their assessed value. And I think it's is it I'm I'm not sure if it's 60 percent or 70 percent of assessed value. But I have to go back and look at the, the HDR. I'm going somewhat from memory right now. Actually, I might have a note about that. Uh, 75% of real market value. Yeah, sorry. So 75% of 250 is going to be about 185. I'm trying to think. Doing math in my head. Says the engineer. Yep. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, 187,500. So you go from 140 to 187,500. So divide 140. That's only a 34% increase in your taxes. Oh, only a 34. So yeah, and that's in a single year. And that's I, not. And now, mind you, the real market value is growing at about 6% right now. So you're going to probably get another, you know, a little bit more of a bump on top of that. Well, mine for last year was $2,500. Hey, that's relatively low in Lane County, believe it or not. Yeah, well, of course, then again, I'm working two jobs to pay this stuff. Yeah. You're, you're a prime example of... Um, you're a prime example of why... Um, property taxes are so tough because I know that it's one of your largest bills because it's, you know, for you in your situation. So it's just, uh, you know, it just, it, it amazes me that, they, that we've allowed that system to go as far as we have. Yeah. And let's talk about affordable housing, housing with all this. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you, you know, think about what you have to pay, uh, just in rent every month so that your landlord can pay the property taxes on whatever you're renting. Now that's going to jump astronomically with HJR 13. And uh, really, you know, that just drives things through the roof. It, it just, it, it boggles my mind. And they just, it, they just can't get enough money. 
I mean, we took the last show and we went over all the taxes that have been approved over the last several years and all the new taxes. And that, you know, when you think about Portland, they also pass an income tax up there. You know, so they've got the highest income tax rate in the country, just about in the city of Portland now. So it, it just and it's when is enough enough? So they want to pass this thing to to blow away the 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 caps we put on property taxes back in the 90s. And and even that isn't enough. You know, they want to do these transfer taxes. Yeah, and um, you know, the tax they want to do the huge beer and wine tax, you know. And even down to the point where there is a bill proposed that would create a fee for our local district attorney's office to pay when they file charges in state court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just like Portland's got that, and they raised it up to $35 called an arts tax, which is uh, per person if if you make over $1,000 per year. And then they want to put two toll bridges in Portland. Yep. Get you coming and going. Whether it's, you know, the gas taxes they increased back in 2017, you know, a huge amount of bonds that were passed over the last several years in this area and across the state. Uh, it's just the amount of taxes just keeps going up. And I, I, you've you got to wonder, what's the limit? And and, uh-huh. and and are we getting the services that we want from government for all that taxation? I can tell you, I'm not getting the, the law enforcement that I would like to see and the criminal justice system I would like to see for my, my tax dollars. Well, what's going to happen is just like the Glamour Salon in Salem, you know, more and more businesses are going to, going to leave. And speaking of uh, what you were saying money-wise, I want to kind of circle back in a way. Oh, God, circle back. Uh-huh. Uh, I said that. Uh, I want wait, to circle back. I, I, press secretary for, the, for President Biden. Uh. Yeah. Um, going back to guns, about a, uh, an incident, was it yesterday in your area? A homeowner that uh, had, a, had a friend visit? Oh, oh yeah. I I almost forgot. I was I was like incident in my area. It's like I was trying to think about which one you might be referring to. And yeah, yeah. It seems like that somebody that was extremely intoxicated decided to try and walk into somebody's home that wasn't his, and uh, the owner chased him off using a firearm. And the guy came back. And he got chased off for a second time while the guy was on on the phone with with nine one one, and he was eventually caught, <laughs> not too far away, uh, based on the description of his vehicle. And uh, turns out he was very intoxicated, and and who knows why he was showing up at that house? Whether he was intending to rob it or or whether he was confused, didn't know where he was, but. Uh, Definitely, uh, you know, something that you you shake your head and go, you know, stupid person. But it was probably a good thing that homeowner had a firearm and was allowed to have a firearm, got rid of the person because who knows what their intentions were at that time. And he and didn't discharge the weapon. Never, you know, that, that, that's the whole thing is there's so many times a firearm is used to stop a crime and is never discharged. All it takes is the presence of one quite often. Well, I'm hearing the music start to come in the background <laughs> as Robin's thinking, it's dinner time and the cat's hungry. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, and I'm, I'm hungry too because I've been out working in the yard and worked up that appetite, and uh, and definitely uh, time for an adult beverage and to find something to eat. So I'll be back next week here on the Bo's Nose Show at our usual time at 4 o'clock where you get to call in and participate if you want to because this is a regular town hall I do and I make myself available 
to everyone here in Lane County, state or wherever you want to call in from. We've had calls from across the world. At one time we had a South African call. <laughs> so thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. <laughs>